That's Adam Brand with his song, The Anzac. It's Graham Kemlow speaking with you here now on Travel Riders Radio, and we're back with David Lavelle on this Anzac Day tribute to Z Special Soldier, Brian Walpole, and all those who fought on this uh, on this day of reflection here in Australia, Anzac Day. I know there's lots of sporting events on, but the real purpose of the day is to reflect on those who've gone before us, those who paid the ultimate price, and those who returned and maybe need uh, a bit of love today. We're back with David Lavelle on this Anzac Day tribute to Z Special Soldier, Brian Walpole. Now, Brian and the Iban do clear out the Rajang River. He's in communication with his superiors. He thumbs his nose at them a little bit. I don't know that he's that big on authority. And there's a suggestion maybe he thinks the guy leading this particular company is a bit of an idiot. The, the Z Special Unit. Yeah. The operation is in Semit 3. Yeah, Semit 3. He yeah, didn't yeah, seem to have a lot of time... For this fellow. Yes, he, he didn't have he didn't have any respect for the the senior officers. They were um, he, he found them very frustrating to deal with. I, I think they they didn't have combat experience, uh, yet they were in charge of something which we, which you think would require an enormous amount of combat experience. Mm. And but I don't think he would have held that against them had they acknowledged it. But they apparently in his account they threw their raid around they were very uh, they were very patronizing and rude to the barn too which he found unforgivable partially because he just liked them and, and also secondly he thought well, we're meant to be keeping these people on side you know because they're helping the war effort and you're yeah. treating them like servants you yes. know and uh, and he uh, he found them infuriating and i mean he was only a corporal but but he was basically running his his show because he had, he was the only one that really had any experience in mounting ambushes, for example. Yeah, and so they really had to leave the the dirty work to him and the headhunters. His his immediate superior, Captain Carney, Dave Carney, he he liked him a great deal because he wasn't a particularly experienced soldier, but. He was a good bloke and he, he got on with him well and, and he was the first to admit that he wasn't experienced and he would he would take um, Brian's advice. Right. So Brian and him got along well, but it was the, the more senior one. They, they, were, they were actually all English because okay. the, the It was unit, a British colony, wasn't it, uh, Yeah, Yeah, I can't recall quite why senior commanders of that operation were British and uh, he, he didn't like how they treated the, the headhunters. Right. And that was one reason he didn't have much respect for those leaders. Right. There were also Americans there, but they did. he told me they didn't really hang around. Uh, I'm not sure whether pistol, uh, the pistol-packing uh, MacArthur made it to Borneo or not, whether he promised to return, but uh, Brian seemed to think it would be a good job if he just disappeared and didn't ever come back. Yeah, he he had some encounters with American soldiers in in New Guinea, and I think he actually had to take a message to a base there, and he just walked straight the the sentry right. perimeter and without really being challenged, and he couldn't believe that they would do that. Yeah. But um, but I think also he was surprised at how little regard they'd have for what the Australian troops thought as basic security, like just keeping quiet when they were on patrol. Yes, but he found it. Well, the Japanese as well would, would talk while they were walking through the jungle. Right. A simple thing like that, which Brian would never do, totally silent mm. <laughs> his whole time in the jungle. He knew it was dangerous. Now, he was he must have been getting to the end of his task on the Rajang River as the war was coming to a close, but he didn't know that, did he? 
Um, no. The idea of that, that Semit operation was to go behind the enemy lines, cause havoc and... Push them down the river. Push, yeah, basically push the Japanese garrisons down the river towards the 9th Division, yeah. I think. And while, while they were doing this, so Brian was out there with the headhunters causing havoc, mounting ambushes, taking the heads. And while they were doing this, I, I think the official surrender happened. Yes. And, and he arrives at Simanjung. Yeah. But what, what happened was he heard on the radio that the atom bombs had been dropped and Japan had surrendered. But the, the trouble was that in the field, the Japanese were still killing people. Mm. And he knew that. And then they were told their job was to take Japanese prisoner and then try and take over the administration of these towns as best they could right. in the interim. The, the Japanese were still fighting in reality. And so it wasn't really a case of accepting their surrender. And he also knew that they'd be killing as many of their prisoners and witness, eyewitnesses to the atrocities as they could. And so he, he wanted to go to... Simanjung, uh, he pronounced it. Simanjung, yeah. yeah. He, he, wanted, he wanted to go down there in, in that area just just to see, just to take control of that area and basically save any lives he could and take the prisoners. And he ended up going just himself and... A few sea dykes because none of the others wanted to go. They, they thought, well, the, the war's over. We don't have to put ourselves in the line of fire. And wasn't but, this, uh, was this an internment camp at Samanjung? There, there were prisoners there in a fort, I think. Yeah, that's what I believe. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, anyway, he, he went there and there was a, um, a Japanese ambush waiting for them. The Japanese by this stage had assumed that there was a much larger force in the jungle than what there than, than really was a handful. <laughs> And they were expecting, I think, a battalion to come marching down the road into the town. So they were waiting to ambush them. Right. But because he had the headhunters with him, they soon sniffed out what was happening. So and so they set up a decoy and they ended up ambushing the ambushes. And right. um, in Brian's account, he called on them to surrender and they all just swung their weapons towards him and so... His his group just opened up and and you know there was a firefight and this was after Jap Japan had surrendered. Had surrendered there, was, yeah. there was no reason why these Japanese, when they heard the call to surrender, they you would have think they would have laid down their weapons. They had officially surrendered, but and then he found that they they were just about to depart the town that day, and there had been an order to kill all of the prisoners in the town. Yeah. So so his but so his actions, which he didn't have to do because the war was over, he actually ended up saving quite a few lives by by doing that. Right. And one of them was this woman, Lena Ricketts. That's right. Yes, she was. She was a, one of the prisoners in the fort. She was a British uh, civil servant, I believe. Yeah, I think she was trained as a nurse. Right. As, as well. Half Iban, um, half British, I believe. Yeah, and her father been there for some time. Right. And anyway, the, the, they'd been taken prisoner, and they'd been prisoners of the Japanese for a, a few years, I think. Mm. And they were, they, I think they would have been executed that day. She burst out of the fort, apparently, and ran towards um, Brian. Brian. Yeah. And while, while I think he, they were still swapping shots. Yes, I heard, that's I what he said. That's yeah. what he said. And, of course, that then got turned into a bit of a love story uh, mm. in subsequent accounts, not by him, I don't think. No, no, uh, he never he never um, said that. No. But, I think that, that was know. a bit of a... It was, it was sort of a media circus when they were 
uh, reunited in, uh, Perth, in the yeah. 1990s, I think. Yeah. But it, yeah, he, he he certainly had a great deal of respect for her. He, he yeah. thought she was enormously courageous. Yes. Which she was. His, okay. his nickname before her was the Little Rose. In right. fact, I think his working title for my wall was the Little Rose of the Batang Litter and other things. Oh, okay. I think you, I <laughs> which, think you got a better title for him. Yeah. If, if so, that was, yeah, uh, was your um, role. No, well, uh, Dave, it's been terrific speaking with you. Obviously, someone who spent a lot of hours with uh, Brian. I count myself yeah. privileged to have just had the short amount of time I did with him. I found him just a fascinating character. He's a handsome dude, even in yeah. his eighties, and oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I can understand. I think he had three wives, and we don't, we won't go into <laughs> the rest of what he may have had over his career. But he loved to drink, and so you were best to speak to him in the morning because by the afternoon he was. Uh, he was having his second or third vodka. But he, yeah. he's just such a lovely guy. And I, you know, I was very sad. I was working overseas at the time and sad to hear of his passing. And it's 14 years ago since I took him up there with a group of others, including Bruce Ruxton. Interesting, they didn't get on. Ruxton and, uh, and he didn't get on. But then Brian had never gone to an Anzac Day march, never gone to a reunion. He was a bit of a loner after the war and maybe the, the Z special uh, element in his life was part of the reason, do you think? Uh, yes, I think so. I think the, the Z unit men, a lot of them were, were isolated. They worked in very small groups. They were covered by the Official Secrets Act. So yeah. a lot of them were left, I think, unsure afterwards as how much they could say even yes. years afterwards. That actually turned out to Brian's advantage when he was threatened with a court-martial. Did I, you hear that story? Yes, I did hear about a court-martial. Yeah. Well, apparently the Japanese at Samanjan did complain about what happened and some of them claimed that they weren't soldiers and that he, that he attacked them and they, were, he, they claimed to be civilians. And also the, the Kempe Thai officer, the, the one in charge, he also complained about the, the incident. Yes. And I think the commanding officer, one of the ones that Brian had little respect for, I think instigated an inquiry yes. w- w- without asking for any independent witnesses. Like, he didn't speak to any of the prisoners in the, in the town, for example. He just bundled the complaints off. And Brian found himself facing a court-martial from the 9th Division. But he, he denied it all and said he couldn't speak about it without unless he'd been released in the Official Secrets Act. Yeah. And so they said, well we'll, well, we'll look into that. And then he pointed out, if you release me from the Official Secrets Act, that'll be great because I'll sell the story to a newspaper. Then apparently he was called back and told there'll be no court martial and you won't be talking to a newspaper. Right. Oh well, that was a good outcome. David Lavelle, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, it's been a personal and a professional privilege to bring this tribute to the Australian digger, as seen through the eyes of Brian Walpole and David Lavelle. I want to thank David and Brian of the Department of Veterans Affairs and the wonderful people of Sarawak, a place I've visited many times now and I can really highly recommend, if only because it's probably the last place on earth you'll be able to see an orangutan in the wild. Now, I've seen firsthand their conservation efforts in Sarawak and they are to be highly commended. You're listening to The Travel Writers Show on J Air 87.8 FM.